Okay, welcome to Journey Through Scripture, day 213. Today we're going to be in 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 1, through chapter 12, verse 22, and then Romans chapter 14, verse 19, through 15, verse 13. Okay, in 1 Chronicles 11, we see um, <clears throat> now the, the, the early stages of the Davidic kingdom, uh, or, or David's rule, um, delineated for us, and uh, this begins with David being um, anointed as king at Hebron, and all Israel, uh, we have all Israel coming to him, and um, uh, and and the, the promise of God noted, noted, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, you shall be prince over my people Israel, uh, the people make a covenant with him there, and this is all uh, said to be in accordance with the word of Yahweh by Samuel. Um, I'll just note that here, um, along with um, in a number of other places, uh, not only in today's reading, but in uh, you know the the rest of Chronicles as well, a, a lot of other places, you see that knowledge of the story that we're told in Samuel through Kings is presupposed. Like we're not like introduced to the the whole the whole background story uh, one just just reading the book of chronicles you don't even really know who Samuel is right um and so um the 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 again the the post exilic community uh which is uh the initial ones to receive the books of chronicles um are are supposed to already kind of know these stories uh, but now, again, they're being told in a way that has a very distinctly um, uh, theological spin on it, where uh, points that are relevant and are seen as relevant for the uh, post-exilic community, that is the community that's uh, returned from exile, um, can can learn and benefit from it. And so, whereas yesterday, all, pretty much all we were told about Saul, aside from his genealogy, is... His tragic end and the um, the fact that uh, he the, that the Lord rejected him as king and uh, his house wound up uh, essentially wiped out um, by, at the, by the hands of the Philistines. Uh, today, where um, you see the big contrast, where where David is um, is anointed according to the word of Yahweh. And, uh, and then when Jerusalem is taken in the next paragraph, verses 4 through 9, um, that ends with David becoming greater and greater, and Yahweh of hosts was with him. But really, the, the main focus today, in terms of the amount of ink that's spilled on it, is the, um, uh, basically acknowledging the people, who are the, the people who are loyal to David. And so in the paragraph that I just mentioned, we see uh, Joab, the son of Zeruiah, um, whom again we learned was David's nephew um, a couple chapters back, um, but we know Joab well from the narratives of Samuel through Kings. Um, we, we see that he is the first to go up into Jerusalem to take it um, from, the, from the Jebusites. Uh, of course, he's accompanied by a lot of other guys, and we read 
the details about that in 2 Samuel chapter 5. Okay, then we're given um, a bunch of, uh, a list of his mighty men, and this is something that comes from the end of the books of Samuel, so uh, skipping a lot um, in the narrative about David's life, um, or at least skipping over for now. Uh, we're told about these guys. In particular, we learn of uh, two of the three mighty men here. So we learn here of Yeshava uh, Am, uh, a Hakmonite, chief of the three. So his, his the, the the most uh, prominent or most renowned of the of David's mighty men. Uh, in Second Samuel twenty three eight, the same guy is called Yoshev Vashebet. Um, and then we also learn of Eleazar, the son of Dodo. And we're not told about him here, uh, but in um, in Second Samuel, we're told the third name of the, the 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 third person among the three, who is Shammah, son of Agay, uh, the Hararite. Um, so those are uh, like David's three most elite, most re- renowned soldiers. Um, but then you also have like the the thirty who go down to David when he's at Adulam, and we're recount and, and we're told of this story that um, that might sound familiar as well, where um, David is um, is in the cave of Adulam, and the Philistines are um, are holding uh, Bethlehem, or and uh, three uh, the three mighty men. So the, the, the top three whom I just mentioned, they go into the camp of the Philistines and get water from Bethlehem secretly and bring it to David, which of course is very dangerous and in uh, something that it's, it's a little hard to get our heads around, but David refuses to drink it and, um, and he pours out the water. Um, and the reason that he gives is, far be it from me before my God that I shall do this, shall I drink the lifeblood of these men, for at the risk of their lives they brought it. And um, as I mentioned last time we saw this uh, this happen, I think like the main idea here is that David is not going to reward his men for—well, um, not reward his men, but he's not going to— uh, seek personal benefit from his men doing dangerous things for him just because he's David, like to get in his good graces, um, uh, or uh, simply because he's their king. Um, he he's shown to have this uh, extraordinary respect for the for the lives of this men, of the men. So whereas we might see something like this and be like, well, that looks really. Uh, disrespectful. These guys just did that for you, and and you're going to do that. It, the, this gesture. Um, in the eyes of uh, the Israelites, um, among whom David did this, is actually um, uh, quite a gesture of integrity. Um, and and we can even see how it doesn't encourage uh, people to continue to do this kind of thing, like just for the sake of David's um, comfort, they're going to go out and risk their lives and do dangerous things. <clears throat> um, we're told of a bunch of other guys, uh, Abishai, the brother of Joab, um, a chief of the 30. Uh, we're told of uh, Benaiah, um, who has a name besides the three mighty men, though he did not attain to the three. And then we're given um, a, a bunch of uh, others, um, a lot of familiar names that we see here. For example, in verse 26, Asahel, the brother of Joab, um, 
in uh, verse 41, we see Uriah the Hittite. Let's not forget, this is the guy whom David eventually does have murdered um, in the event with Bathsheba. Um, and he's not just an ordinary soldier. He's a soldier who's particularly loyal to David. Um, and uh, and then we, we backtrack back in time. Um, because remember, we, we, we'd already read about the anointing of David as king at Hebron and um, the, uh, the taking of Jerusalem, and now it's going back to a time before that um, where David is at Ziklag, uh, which is um, a city very much associated with David. Um, you'll recall that in 1 Samuel 27, <clears throat> um, David does spend some time among the Philistines there, right? That's eventually where he's driven in taking refuge from King Saul. And so uh, David goes to the, the Philistine king, Achish, who gifts him the city of Ziklag. And uh, David is there while the Philistines are going out on um, uh, on the attack against Israel, against Saul's army. So David's not involved in that, even though he's among the Philistines at that time. And this is the place where they return, and um, they find that um, th- that his his wife and all the other people of Ziklag had been <clears throat> taken captive when they're away, and so they go and they um, they attack the camp of the Amalekites, who had who had done that, and they they rescued the captives and uh, and recover the spoil from them. Um, but here we're told about. Uh, we're told for the first time about David's um, having to hide from Saul, right? He could not move about freely because of Saul, the son of Kish. And again, this presupposes a lot of things that were um, that were told in Second uh, Samuel that were, or First Samuel rather, um, that we haven't been told in Chronicles. Um, I think it's also interesting that among those who were with David at Ziklag. Um, are, are those who could shoot arrows and sling stones with either their right hand or their left, and they, these are Benjaminite guys. Um, what's interesting about this, I think, is that uh, in the book of Judges, chapter uh, 20, verse uh, 16, uh, remember that th- this, is the, this is that passage where um, the Levite and his concubine uh, had been mistreated, particularly his concubine had been raped and killed in uh, in Gibeah of Benjamin, and uh, he sends out her uh, the parts of her body to all the tribes, and they all gather against Benjamin. Well, one of the things that the Benjaminite warriors are um, are noted for there in Judges chapter twenty verse sixteen is that among these were 700 chosen men who were left-handed, everyone who could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. <clears throat> and here we have the ambidexterity of the Benjaminites also noted. So this seems to have been a thing that the men of Benjamin, in their preparation for, for battle, it's not like it was a standing army or anything, uh, but that they were that they were trained in. Uh, I just think that's an interesting note. Um we're also then told of a bunch of tribes who come to David there. So from the Gadites, um, uh, starting in chapter 12, verse uh, 8, um, we learn of a bunch of men from Gad and recall that this is a Transjordanian tribe. So they're coming from a distance to aid David. Um, and their, um, their military 
uh, skill is noted. At, um, the least was a match for a hundred men, and the greatest for a thousand. Um, as well as some of the men of Benjamin coming to um, and Judah coming to the stronghold to the stronghold to David. Um, the, I think it's interesting that Benjaminites are coming. Right, you would think that they, these guys would be loyal to Saul uh, at any cost. Uh, Saul being a Benjaminite, of course, but um, both men of Benjamin and Judah, uh, two tribes that are right next to each other in terms of their territorial allotment, they come to David as well. And, um, of course, uh, and their loyalty, he would have to be careful about spies or people who are there through, through some sort of treachery, trying to garner some favor with Saul. So we have David, uh, when he meets them, if you've come to me in friendship to help me, my heart will be joined to you. But if you betray me to my adversaries, although there is no wrong in my hands, then may the God of our fathers see and rebuke you. And, um, the, the chief of the 30, Amasai, um, tells him essentially in this, I don't know, it's not specifically called a covenant here or anything, but uh, it's more of like an oath. I suppose we are yours, O David, and with you, O son of Jesse, peace, peace to you, and peace to your helpers, for God helps you. Um, so eventually these men uh, become officers among his troops. And, uh, and then we go... Uh, forward a little bit to the end of Saul's life. So um, some of the men of Manasseh also desert to David, and um, and notice it says, when he came with the Philistines for battle against Saul, and yet and it notes, yet he did not help, right? It wants to make that very clear in the Israelite psyche that David is not, um, is, is not somebody who's uh, joining with Israel's enemies in order to defeat their king so he could take their place, so he can usurp the throne. Um, so this is towards the very end of 1 Samuel, um, in verse 29, uh, chapters 29 through 30, that is being recounted here. Uh, again, they're at, uh, the, uh, David is at Ziklag, and they help him against uh, bands of raiders, um, verse 21, which again is something that we're expected to know from the book of 1 Samuel. All right, let's go over now to Romans chapter 14, uh, picking up verse 20. Um, we're going to go through 15, verse 13. Um, so this is still the discussion, uh, or Paul's Paul's uh, discussion of um, basically getting along with those who disagree with you um, it, within the church about what is right and wrong on those things that kind of lie on the periphery where um, Scripture does not specifically uh, or explicitly um, give you guidance, but, you know, you have a strong moral conviction or, about something. And um, so for the, discern, for, for, for the discerning heart, you know, these, these things are moral areas where Christians uh, can agree to disagree. Um, and I, I, Paul's made the, the point that... Um, the idea for each of us is that we need to be fully convinced in our own mind that we're able to um, live according to our decisions with regard to such things um, in honor to the Lord, right? Are 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 we doing? Or is it just simply that, like, I'm you know I'm looking for some kind of moral excuse, although maybe this thing actually is wrong? No, we need to search our hearts and make sure that um, we hold our convictions with integrity. And um, 
And particularly here, we see him getting uh, kind of continuing a thread that we left off on yesterday, where it's about like Paul starts telling them that, um, you know, you need to be walking in love towards your brother. So if you're strong, um, you know, don't do it in front of them. Uh, if if uh, if your brother is grieved by what you eat, he says you're no longer walking in love. Uh, don't destroy the one for whom Christ died, for the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Spirit. And so here, kind of continuing on that, he says, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. No, uh, That's very similar, I think, to the idea of destroying the one for whom Christ died. So another thing that needs to be going through our minds when we're seeking to love our brothers and sisters in Christ in this way is <clears throat> the fact that, like, the fact that this person knows the Lord and uh, has the measure of faith that they do, that's God's work. That is that is someone whom Christ died for and um and and is part of the church, which is God's work as well. So like don't don't destroy the church, don't destroy this person simply because you want to be able to enjoy the freedom that you have in Christ to do certain things. Um there's a there's there's something uh, there's something higher than that. So um, everything is indeed clean. So here Paul once again that um, Paul once again is tipping his hat as to like what he actually thinks here. Um, uh, like, you know, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that is that nothing is unclean in and of itself, but is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. Um, this is a, a principle that I think we also see in the book of James, where James is like, anyone who know, knows the right thing to do and does not do it, for him it is sin, okay? Right, and so um, so again, Paul tipping his hat uh, as to like what he actually thinks, um, everything is indeed clean. So nothing like, and, and it's a, I think it's interesting that he's talking here in terms of like ritual defilement, right? This is, and we've, uh, because that that would be the concern that these things are somehow this, this meat that has been potentially been offered to idols, um, or these foods that you are and aren't allowed to eat. Right? These the concern is for the Jewish mindset is that these things would make me ritually unclean, and um, and that is and Paul understands that that is no longer a relevant category for those who are in Christ because our access to God has been fully secured through Him. Okay, so that's Paul's stance on it, but he says it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. So you might not be sinning in busting out that uh, that filet mignon that you got at a good deal um, at the Agora, but um, that that's a like the marketplace. Um, but if you if when you when you set that out and somebody else is scandalized by that, oh my gosh, can you see what he's doing? Um, and that becomes an issue in the in the church. Um, now that that is a wrong, and that's a wrong for you because you've you've made your your um, exercise of your freedom is is introducing a division, a fissure in Christ's church. Um, so he says it's it's good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything that your brother cause that causes your brother um, to stumble. Uh, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. I think that's pretty clear. Right? And then I, I like how he, how he words it here. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. 
Okay, so again, this is another angle that that uh, where where Paul is, I think, speaking of this idea of conscience, right? Like you're fully convinced you do it to to, to the Lord, right? And and so like, uh, blessed are you if you have no reason then to pass judgment on yourself for what you approve. Um, uh, again, your appro- your approval. This is all with the caveat that your approval of these things that you are doing is uh, in a good conscience between you and the Lord. But whoever doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Okay, so that, again, is the idea of conscience. So here is the weak conscience. So, um, you know, you convince someone else to do it, but they're still not really sure that it's the right thing to do. Well, in their eating, they're thinking, well, I'm disobeying God in doing this, and that's, that's the problem. Then we go over into chapter 15. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So it's not about, like, it, it's it's about um, living in harmony with one another, okay? It's not about uh, me exercising my freedoms in Christ, but um, but I if, if you're strong, okay, with great, I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it, with great power comes great responsibility. Spider-Man, um, but that's the same kind of idea, right? Like, if you are are strong in faith, and 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 that's, you know, you're going to consider yourself someone strong because you are you don't have a weak conscience with regard to these things. Well, consider yourself strong, um, uh, not only from that, but through your obligation to um, to the unity of the church, and that often involves bearing with the fact that there are others who are not as far along as you are. Um, and so uh, our obligation in the body of Christ is to, and he, the word he uses here is please one another, right? To please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. Um, for Christ did not please himself, so now we have the example of Jesus, right? But as it is written, then he quotes Psalm 69, 9, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And um, which I think is an interesting psalm to quote here, right? That, um, and I, I think the his intention in quoting that is is essentially, you know, this is a psalm of the Christ suffering, the Christ who suffered for all of us, and, um, and so, so, so Jesus, think about what Jesus did for you, right? He took, he laid aside his freedoms as the Son of God, as the as the uh, second divine person of the Trinity, and uh, came and bore the uh, the sins of you who once were a reproacher of God. Okay, and th- those fell on Jesus, and that's what he did for this church. That's what he gave up for this church. What will you give up for his church? Um, and then you get a, a good, a really cool principle. Uh, you know, we're very uh, Old Testamenty here in our reading, right? We, we we make sure we read our Chronicles before we read our Romans. And here is something important to keep in mind: whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Um, and so then uh, you get 
this almost like a quasi prayer here, like a, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live. And I love the way he puts this in such harmony with one another. So now he's, he's in pic, he's envisioning the church as singing. And I don't think this is like only literal singing, right? That this is, I think with our lives together, we're offering up like a song of praise to God. I think this is somewhat metaphorical here. Okay, so you're living in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together in the way that you're living in harmony with one another, because think of harmony, the... Um, the, the main tune is being carried by the one, the, uh, the, the harmony, which I'm, I'm never very good at doing, at least with singing, uh, is being done by other voices. And though they're not singing exactly the same thing, when you hear them together, you can hear the beauty of the one with the other, the beauty of you hanging up your freedoms for the other, the, the beauty perhaps of the weak in, in um, seeking to understand the gospel more so that they can uh, become strong as well. Um, but really, the, the beauty here being the love in the one not despising the other and the other not, not passing judgment on the other. So... Um, you're living in harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Even though we are not all singing um, the same notes, when we sing together, they glor- these notes glorify um, uh, our, our Lord. Um, therefore, and and here we have these this these this word that we saw in verses one and verse three of chapter fourteen. Um, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Christ has welcomed that other person, um, and so you should welcome him as well. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness. So here is Paul once again, kind of going back on the theme of look to Christ's example, right? So Christ didn't have to come as a Jewish guy, but he did. Um, of course, in the redemptive plan of God, the, the Messiah, of course, would be Jewish, but um, he didn't come being like, you know what, the all this stuff that you guys are doing is going to be unnecessary because I am uh, going to die for everyone's sins and you're all going to be fine. No, in, instead, like, he comes and he submits himself to a lot of the traditions and the practices that they're into, um, not because as the Son of God, it's like, it's required of him, right? Um He's, he's, he's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the one who makes all things clean. Um, but in order to well, win those among the circumcised, right? In order to, to, to be able to, um, to minister to those to whom he was sent. So he became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness, to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And we've already seen that path, right? That, that, the, that the Gentiles would be brought in, that those to whom Christ came would by and large reject him, and that there would be a turning to the Gentiles, and that that in turn would, of course, um, bring about, as Paul has called it, Israel's jealousy, and bring them into the fold of God as well. Um, and, um, and so... 
in this uh, in this harmony between that that Paul is trying to achieve between those who are more sensitive to particularly Jewish purity uh, customs and the Gentiles who have been brought into the church. Remember, he's he's addressed the strong. It, okay, right. He's just said a bunch of things to the strong, whom I think when we're kind of like teasing out who those would have been, probably would have been a lot of Gentile believers, right? Because they never had those scruples. Whereas the Jewish people being brought in, who are used to serving God and living before God in this way, probably would have composed a large percentage of those whom Paul would not condescendingly uh, call the weak in these chapters. And so now Paul has addressed them, and now he's kind of turning towards the—sorry, the, uh, sorry, he's addressed the strong, right? And now he's kind of turning to the Jewish people and saying, look, these, these Gentiles who are, who are now part of, part of the, the family of Abraham, look at how much the Scripture celebrates them coming in, them being welcomed into the body. So he cites 2 Samuel 22.50, which is identical to Psalm 18.49— Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And then he brings it back to Deuteronomy 32, 43. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Okay, that's exactly what he's talking about here. With one voice glorifying the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he goes to Psalm 117, verse 1. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him uh, the Gentiles will hope. Uh, this is a, a um, taken from Isaiah chapter 11, 1, um, but again, it's the, how, the, how the Messiah is kind of aimed at not only the Jewish people, but the Gentiles. Um, I should mention that this is um, something of a, of a loose like paraphrase of what Paul uh, says in uh, verse uh, 10 of Isaiah 11 as well, because um, if you go back there, uh, what that literally says is, in that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for, for the peoples, right, not just for um, not just for Israel, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. And uh, what I think is interesting about that is that uh, the very next verse, verse 11, says, in, in that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, Egypt, Pathras, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. So those um, Israelites who are in exile, I will recover the remnant from them. And recall how important remnant theology has been uh, to Paul uh, earlier on in his discussion of um, of Israel and where they fit into the plan of salvation, all right? That, uh, the, the, for example, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. So, um, so yeah, Paul wants to remind them of how good of a thing it is that Gentiles are among them. Um, and then you get another um, quasi-prayer here, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Remember, that's what he says the kingdom of God consists of, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. All right, thanks for joining me today. As always, I look forward to being with you again tomorrow, and until then, keep reading Scripture, take care, and bye-bye.